This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello Sacramento Kings fans, welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse NBA Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez, and my co-host on this Kings Pulse Podcast is Rich from Sacktown Royalty. Check out his work and everyone else that writes for that great website of filled with Sacramento Kings content, sacktownroyalty.com. And this podcast is part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the rest of the great podcasts that are part of the network at PulsePodcastNetwork.com. New episodes every Monday and two to three a week regularly covering all things NBA and Sacramento Kings related. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse NBA podcast. I am your host, Brendan Nunez, and I now have a brand new co-host. We got Rich, who was on the last episode of Sacktown Royalty. Glad to have him co-hosting this podcast with me and get his knowledge a little bit. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Brendan. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm so stoked to be a part of this podcast moving forward, dude. I, uh, it's really impressed with your knowledge on uh, the Kings and the game in general. And I've been looking for uh, a place to talk Kings more frequently and, and reach out to the community. So this is really exciting. Yeah, same goes you, man. You obviously know what you're talking about. And it's good to get some thoughts flowing between both people that know their stuff, obviously. So hopping in here, we got two games to cover recently. We can start with that loss in Houston and the last time that this team saw Houston I want to say it was a home game for the Kings and they lost by like 30 plus it was one of the worst of the season and in this one we saw we saw Bagley start with Belly being out and they held their ground a little bit it was close for most of the game yeah I mean this is impressive especially when you know it's tough because the Kings were eliminated from the playoffs officially on Saturday with this loss, but it didn't feel like um, they were dominated despite Harden's 50-point triple-double. Which was you almost know? casual. Like, it's just Harden yeah. things. It's just Harden things. I mean, what can you even really do about that? It's, uh, it's impressive that um, the Kings stuck in this one for sure. Yeah, and... You really got my eye on the bogey first half or second half. And man, both of these games, that Houston and San Antonio, I really felt that. I want to say that Houston game, he had, what, 20 just in that first quarter or first half, excuse me, something like that. And then only ended with 24, which I mean, I'm not going to complain about a 24, 9 and 8 game from bogey, but it just seemed like that second half, it's exactly what you said, where he really slows down. Yeah, um, that 24-9-8, you're right. I mean, that's a great game. And uh, if, I hadn't, if I hadn't stumbled across those first half, second half splits, I would just – I would uh, kind of give up on this theory that, that Bogey has been struggling. But 
Yeah, I mean, he had the 24 points in Saturday's game at Houston, and then he had another 15 uh, in San Antonio on Sunday. But if you combine those games and break down his field goal percentage half to half, you know, he hit 53.8% of his shots in the first halves for those two games and all the way down to 41.7, which is pretty poor, you know, quite frankly, it's pretty pedestrian. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I may, I may be onto something here because uh, I was worried for a minute, uh, just seeing those final lines that, that uh, I, I might have to just delete that draft, but it seems like things are still going all right uh, with the with the uh, inconsistency there. Yeah, and at very least, he doesn't seem like he's finally out of his slump a little bit because it was bad. It seemed like I put out something, a question on that subreddit, the King subreddit not too long ago, saying what's the general consensus on how people are feeling about bogey. And one of the main things were people saying that ever since he hit that game winner, it's just all really been downhill, except kind of recently, maybe within the last month. And really, I mean, it's just his shot starting to fall. And because of that, he seems more willing to move the ball almost like when he wasn't seeing him go down, that he was forcing it a little much that you caught him dribbling six, seven, eight times and it was just too much. And now he's moving the ball a little more. Like we said, he had those eight assists, and that was really nice. I mean, he's just a piece we need. Like, I see him being a great ideal six-man of the future, and him buying into that would really be everything. Yeah, absolutely. He has picked it up. Uh, I think at least over the last five games, his numbers have looked a lot better. Um but yeah, I I wonder if I went back and looked at it from that that game winner on that must have been an inflection point there. Uh, I did notice that a lot of his struggles are coming right at the rim. I feel like his three point shot has actually been been pretty much fine. Uh, where I see him struggle or where I worry about him when he's uh, when he's finishing on drives is that that's where I feel like the difference is at least compared to last year or compared to the beginning of the year. I do know that he last time I checked was down to 37.5% on attempts within eight feet of the basket. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got right here. So short mid range, he's looking at, Oh, this is percentage shot attempts, short mid range. He's looking at 39% and he's 54% from the rim. So the rim finishing rate's not great. Um, yeah, long mid ranges are sitting at 43. So that's all right. Like you said, the three point percentage really is not bad. 37%. That's amazing. Uh, I got no complaints there. Do you think there's anything to this? Uh, the only positive plus minus actually Alec Burks was a plus five, but that's in seven minutes. It was a plus 19 for Costas Kufis. Do you think, I mean, what is to that? It's just he's able to go in there and be a big body when Cully Stein doesn't really have that same effect. You know, that's interesting uh, to put it uh, as as maybe just being, you know, really not being on the floor because of a plus 19. I don't know that that's the case. I think that, unfortunately, plus minus is a pretty flawed statistic if you're looking for real effect on a game. Um, there's just so many other factors, you know, especially yep. the, the nine other players on the floor, uh, your four teammates and the five you're playing against at any given time. It can change so much. Um, I, I don't have this right in front of me, but I'm assuming Kosa was in there against some of the weaker, uh, lineups put, put out there by Houston. And yeah, I mean, I think that net rating and plus minus those types of ratings are very important over a very large sample size, they can mean a lot. Um, but if you're looking at his plus minus over a 13 minute sample size, it's, it's kind of hard to, to give that much credit there. Yeah, that's fair. And he, it did only play a 13 minute stretch when all these starting guys are at least looking at 25 plus. So I, I get what you're coming there. It was just interesting to me that you see everyone's in double digit negatives and then you got Kufis at almost a plus 20. Um, yeah, but it, on the other end, for sure. yeah, 
they only they only ran three deep, and that being Shumper, Austin Rivers, Daniel House, three points from their whole bench, but it didn't even really matter because, like we said, fifty from Harden, twenty two from CP three, twenty four from from Capella, seventeen from Gordon. I mean. This Rockets team just obviously has a lot of firepower. What was interesting to me was that they started with Fox on CP3 and Buddy on James Harden. And then when you saw them switch that, once Harden really started to take off, Fox did a really good job of defending Harden. And obviously, he's a great defender, but it's the speed and keeping him, trying to make him go right, which I think Harden has adapted to a lot this year since... Uh, the Bucks were the first team I really saw do that to him, but it was so nice to be able to see the difference between Fox's defense and Buddy's defense and just the way that he's able to hound Harden. And it's not like this is Fox not putting in effort on the offensive end. He's doing it on both ends. I, I love the defense that I'm seeing from him. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it uh, regarding the beginning of the game because unfortunately... I uh, was not able to catch this one live and only went back and saw pieces of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you're telling me that Fox put in a nasty effort on defense, I mean, I got nothing to doubt that. All the games that I've seen this year from him live and, and all the other tape that I've watched, I mean, he's ferocious. And he is also a guy who there there was an inflection point somewhere around midseason where he has just stepped up and – Especially you see it in the steals. He just turned on, uh, yeah, I mean, those, those paws, the swipe of the fox is just like, he is creating turnovers in, in an all new, a uh, whole new way for, for this team. Would you argue that he is our best defensive player? You know, before we got Harrison Barnes in that trade, I think that was where I was at. Uh, but what Barnes can do, uh, just maybe more as a steady presence and the IQ that comes with a little more experience in the league. Uh, I think that Barnes has a real case there, but uh, as far as ceiling, I think that that Fox has the, the highest defensive ceiling of anyone on this team. Yeah. Barnes is interesting to me because I feel like moving laterally, he's almost a little slow in that regard, but it really is just the defensive IQ because he gets to the spots He's able to help and then still recover on his guy. But it, it hasn't blown me away necessarily. And I know the numbers have been great, especially since getting Barnes. And I'm happy that we're seeing him play that small small forward now in that starting lineup and just more so during his minutes on the floor, like we talked about a little bit. But yeah, him, Fox, and Buddy all playing 35-plus minutes. Bogey, too, actually, was 35 in that um, in that Houston game. Those are, those are big contributors, and I, I liked the defense we saw despite Harden dropping 50 and 119 total from one of the best offenses in the league. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I mean, like you mentioned, the the start for Bagley, the effort there, the numbers were real nice, the 20 and 12, and I want to highlight this stretch that he's been on as well. Since returning from his most recent injury, uh, he's been averaging a little over 18 and 8 on some really nice shooting splits, uh, 55%, field goal, 44% uh, on, a, on a low volume of threes, and 70% from the free throw line, You know, which is pretty respectable, um, at least in the context of a big man rookie on a team that has been struggling in that area all year. Yeah, and to touch on his progression a little bit, where do you see his numbers really heading if we're talking next season? To start to start with minutes, because right now, this season, is sitting, he's sitting at 25. He's played 57 of the games. I want to say he's missed, uh, what, 15 games? Something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, he actually has, you know, he's been banged up uh, pretty free. I mean, this is what he said, like three... Or four little stretches of injuries. Maybe yeah. I'm confusing that. Maybe he had one longer one and a couple brief ones. But, but yeah, you know, despite that, um, it's tough to predict the role that he'll get. I think one of the biggest mysteries going into next season is, 
you know, is Bagley going to start from day one? And will he start at the four? Will he start at the five? Uh, you know, what other bigs are going to be joining or leaving the roster? Um, you know, what's that going to leave Bagley with? You know, how many shot attempts? How many touches? What's his usage going to look like? Um, it's a tough question, and it's probably one that we could put a whole episode worth of discussion into. Uh, we'll certainly know more uh, after the draft and free agency. But my my question here is, if he does move into the starting lineup or he does play a significantly bigger role, you know, how is it going to affect the players around him, especially um, our guy Buddy Heald, who put up 20 points in both of these games over the weekend. You know, let me let me put this back to you. Is Buddy a guy that you see averaging 20 points a game again next season if Bagley is in this lineup? I think so. I, I just don't see – I don't think Buddy's necessarily a crazy usage um, that he – doesn't even really need to necessarily create his own shot. We've seen him get better at it throughout this season, putting the ball on the floor a little bit. But I think that if Bagley got better, that that low post presence, if someone sags off a buddy a little bit, that I think that we could see him getting 20 a night. Yeah, I I think he could keep that up. But I don't know if we would need him to necessarily every single night because we do have scoring efforts from Fox, from Barnes, from Bogey. I think Bagley takes that jump like we're talking about. So I think that he's extremely capable of dropping 20 a night, but I just don't know if we'd necessarily need it. Yeah, it's wild to think that this was a team that last season did not have a 20 points per game score, not even close. And that was one thing that a lot of the uh, Kings Twitter community cried out about is we need a go-to guy number one scorer and now all of a sudden you've got that in buddy fox certainly seems like a guy who could flirt with that 20 points per game mark one day uh probably going to stick in around 17 18 next season wouldn't be surprising and then now bagley is uh you know putting up 21 points per 36 minutes right yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, if he's getting a 30, 32 minute a night role next season, he could be putting up 20 and 10. And then you got Buddy possibly still putting up 20 a game as well. And I mean, this is just what, what I'm trying to get at here is that if all these projections fit together the way we think they have the potential to, this is a really high powered offense next year. Yeah, I agree. My worry with Bagley, I think that he obviously improves, that he takes a jump over this offseason. I think his minutes go up, and my guess would be that he starts to see the starting lineup. I think that we could see his percentages drop a little bit. That I think that with him having these new tools in the bag, that maybe he tries to do a little bit too much. Um, we definitely saw that at the beginning of this year, but he almost at times were was doing things out there, just relying on athleticism and things like that. Right now, like you touched on, he's at a 51% from the field throughout the season. Like you said, low volume from three, only one and a half attempts a game, but on 30%, his field goal percentage is okay. I think that those attempts will go up a lot. You'll see the points, rebounds, all that go up. But I think there's a good chance that his percentages dips a bit. I, I just don't think that it's necessarily going to be trending upwards starting next season. Yeah, you could very well be right about that. Um, one thing, though, that I've noticed about this offense, sometimes when Bagley comes in, uh, particularly you know when he's being subbed in off the bench into in with the starters, that the, the offense that Jaeger runs will kind of grind down and just play him through the, the post. They'll feed him. Um, I remember just a, uh, in that Mavericks game, they just uh, slowed the offense down and just fed him in the post for consecutive possessions. And I wonder if, if he's part of the starting lineup, but that's not really a thing we see anymore. I could be wrong about that like completely, but I wonder if at times this season he's kind of been featured like he'll be brought in and it's like, all right, these are 
you know, this stretch of five to eight minutes, we just, we want to see Bagley get a bunch of looks. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if that helps or hurts his percentages, but, but seeing him as a more well integrated part of the lineup could, could help, could help. That's interesting because that reminds me of a little bit what Boston is doing with Jalen Brown. Like I think Jalen Brown is easily a one of the top best five players on that team and worthy of a starting spot, but there's just not enough shots to go around really. And he is featured in that bench lineup that he can get the ball on the low post. He has a nice fadeaway, but that's where he's going to be able to get his shots because guys like Kyrie, Horford, Tatum all need their own looks as well. So that that's interesting because I do like that idea of featuring Bagley a little bit more that I think that he benefits having the ball in his hands. Do you get the impression because I see this a little bit at times and maybe it's just the young guys communicating, getting to know each other better, but I see that, you know, Bagley, if he gets a little bit of tunnel vision, bogey does it, everybody does it at times that the other guys get a little frustrated and they'll vocalize it. I mean, it's good to be communicating, but does that worry you in any sort of way where someone could eventually be unhappy with the amount of touches they're getting or feel like someone's doing a little bit too much, trying to take a bigger role than they really think that they should be in? You know, I suppose it's certainly always a concern. And especially when you have a team with so many guys that could be blossoming into stars or semi-stars or even superstars. I guess that that potential is out there. However, I haven't seen anything yet that would make me believe it's an issue for this Kings team. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, like I said, it's normal to see, you know, it's not a major worry, but always someone you want to watch out for, especially when you have a lot of young guys that are really trying to make themselves something in this league. But moving on to the next game that happened last night, was the San Antonio Spurs game, and the Kings swept the season series against the Spurs for the first time ever, and that's just amazing to do against a quality team like San Antonio, someone that, like we touch on, you might be looking to take their playoff spot come next season. Mm-hmm. And to start, did you see Popovich get ejected? <laughs> uh, I Again, this is so sad that I'm here to, to talk about two games that I didn't get to watch in their entirety live. Um, but yeah, I saw that he got ejected. Uh, you know, this is unfortunately the life of uh, uh, a college student who also works uh, around the clock. But um, yeah, I saw he got ejected. And I mean, this is the guy that we talked about uh, last time as capable of bringing, you know, anybody to the playoffs and, yeah, I mean, he just took a whole bunch of L's from Sacramento this season. And, yeah, the Kings completed a season sweep on the Mavericks last week in the, for the first time in 20 years. And like you said, this is the first time in franchise history that the Kings have swept the Spurs. It's incredible. Yeah. And Pop went off on something that didn't seem that big, like – I know previously he got upset because Fox jumped into Derek White. There was that whole call. And then it really was just one of those things where the ball went out of bounds. They called it Sacramento ball and Pop got all in the ref's face. And it looked like they were about to overturn it to San Antonio ball. And it was just too late. He blew a gasket. He was gone and got two tees real quick. Maybe it was one of those trying to fire up his team, something like yeah. that, because this was a really close game. And you saw Aldridge go crazy. Aldridge just has some really nice games this year and really this entire season, but 27 and 18, really doing whatever he wanted against Willie Colley Stein. There was no Bagley or Giles in this game. Do you feel like those guys would have done a better job containing him a little bit? I mean, a better job than Kosa Kufos in the Monumenta, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, at least they got the energy, you know, and the legs to do it. I uh, And the effort, you know, if we're talking about Willie as well. Yeah. Especially rebounds, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that when, when that injury, injury report came out, that Bagley and Giles both were going to be 
unavailable, it was like, okay, like here comes the Marcus Eldridge. It's yeah. going to be a massacre. And yeah, 18 boards for a guy that is a good rebounder, but it's not, you know, he's more of a pure scorer type of big. That is, uh, that tells you something, uh, for sure. And yeah, and this is another game where, there's a short bench, like you mentioned, and, and they got the job done as far as, you know, if we're looking at the, the plus minus again, I mean, Yogi Ferrell was plus 22 in this game. Yeah. So, how do you- so I don't know how much you read into that. And like I said before, I don't know how, how, how much that matters, but yeah, you guys like Corey Brewer, uh, plus 19. I mean, these are, these are impressive numbers. Can you tell me, uh, if you caught the game, whole game live, um, what did Yogi look like out there? It really wasn't anything new necessarily for Yogi. I think that there was a lot of runs in this game. So maybe it was a little bit of, like you talked about, just happened to be on the floor during the right times. I don't think it's necessarily fully credited to Yogi. Um, I watched it today. I didn't watch it live. And yeah, I mean, he played some good defense. I think he just benefited of being on the floor when LaMarcus and DeMar DeRozan weren't. And same thing with Corey Brewer. Because when those guys weren't on the floor, Sacramento had some really nice stretches. They were leading by double digits for a little while there. I want to say it was late third, early fourth, until about the eight-minute mark, and you see there two all-stars check back in the game. And then Yogi checks out about the same time, same as Brewer. So I think it was just a little bit more so timing rather than Yogi really doing it himself, him or Brewer. Kind of like you talked about how plus minus can be a little bit misleading at times. I want to note here that Bogey had another nice game, like across the board, at least in the stat sheet, but the inefficiency inefficiency came back. We talked about the half-to-half thing. Um but yeah, you know, in this one, the four of eleven is not super encouraging from the floor. But again, somehow he hit two out of five threes, so it's like not really a threes issue. I don't know. It's that's weird to me. It's weird that a guy is gonna gonna hit on his threes. But I mean, he's getting dangerously into that Frank Mason territory from last season, where he almost is shooting it better from beyond the line, beyond the arc, than he is near the basket yeah which i feel like he doesn't necessarily get a step on people to get to the basket um i don't think he's getting himself easy looks at the rim very often and i feel like that's a big part of it there he did have a really nice four-point play uh late in the fourth that really did a lot um which partially is just terrible defense to foul someone shooting a three but he didn't I I didn't feel like it was terrible necessarily when I was watching it, but yeah, obviously, as you touched on, you really need to be shooting better from the, from the field than you do from beyond the arc. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately do you feel pretty good about these two games this weekend? Yeah. I mean, I liked the fight against the Houston game. I think San Antonio almost looked a little off. Um, I was really impressed with Derek White. I think I have been throughout the entire season, but his defense is just crazy. Like this guy has a real argument for being a all defensive type guy this season. And yeah, I mean, I felt like the Kings had some good heart. There were games uh, like it was a lot better than say the Pelicans game before that, where it really just looked like they came out and didn't want it. I think it's kind of the same thing of playing up and down to your competition so I overall was pretty encouraged by both of these two games. Two good playoff teams in the Western Conference you see pretty regularly, and you had a chance to win both games, came out with one W. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a pretty strong showing uh, across the uh, the rodeo road trip, as they call it. And um, yeah. I'm to, I have to go back and watch this uh, Spurs game in its entirety. Uh, I promise I will... The, uh, I'll, I'll be watching the game, uh, at home against the Rockets on Tuesday live. So I will actually get to have some much more authentic, uh, and insightful, uh, comments on it, uh, on our next recording as well. Yeah. It happens, man. Don't worry. Everybody's got a life, you know? 
Um, I will say this Spurs game, I want to say there was 25 lead changes. They put up that stat at the end, which was crazy. Um, it was just a, it was a back and forth game that was really, it was fun and exciting to watch. Right. And I also like your, um, the comment on Derek White there. He is such an interesting guy. Uh, I, I saw he put up this line a couple weeks ago with six blocks in there. Yeah, which I don't understand. Like, it's just basketball IQ, I guess. You know, I, I look, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, maybe, maybe part of it is just like the effect that Pop has on these guys that they all somehow just play strong defense, just strong, decent to good defense. Like, even if, like, no, the, the, the defensive floor of any Spurs player just seems so high. It's astounding. But, um, yeah, when I actually, just like absentmindedly uh, searched basketball reference for that line that Derek White put up the 18 points, nine assists, six blocks game. Yeah. The last, the last player to do it was DeMarcus cousins in 2015. Huh? So, that's that's a time. big difference between two guys getting six blocks. You got a six, four guy and then boogies borderline seven feet. Exactly. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Really like him. And then, they're going to be next year have Derek White on the bench and their starting point guards DeJounte Murray. Like the defense of that team is no joke. And that's where they've struggled this year. So that's my hesitation, like we talked about before, of knocking San Antonio out of that playoff spot. But um, moving on, there was, an ad, there was an article today on The Athletic. Maybe he put it out yesterday from Jason Jones. Uh, getting some quotes from the guys now that they're officially out of the playoff race after that Houston game of really what next season looks like because at the beginning of this year they were projected to be one of if not even on some places the worst team in the league and now they're trying to go 500 and they were in the playoff race a whole lot longer than they're used to but not going to make it obviously 13 years now I want to say it is of not seeing the postseason the longest active in the NBA right now But just some quotes on now that there's going to be expectations next year, how is that going to be different? Because if you do the exact same thing you did this year, next season, people are going to be disappointed because you're supposed to be trending upwards. You're a young team. I wanted to read off this Harrison Barnes quote really quick. And Barnes is known to be a great locker room guy. Everybody from what I've heard from Golden State, even in Dallas, where the fans weren't a huge fan of him. He was eating up a lot of payroll type thing. Everyone has always really liked Barnes. But this is the quote from that Jason Jones article on The Athletic. No question, if the prediction before the season says you guys are going to win 30 games, 20 games, whatever it may be, you can sneak up on teams. You can get hot. You can say this team is playing good basketball. We didn't think they'd be as good as opposed to the expectations going to next season being we're going to be a 50-win team and people saying we're going to be the sixth seed. Then you're on your heels if you start slow or if you think, think, or if things go wrong and you can't just seem to get over the hump, that's a different challenge in itself. But I think the way this team has performed this year, there's going to be a lot of those expectations going into next season. Do you think, I mean, obviously there's validity to this, that this team has these expectations. How do you think that these guys react to that? You know, it's nice to hear that these guys are in that headspace already. Uh, wanting to push themselves forward to that next level. I, I wonder if, you know, if the expectations are to improve or to, to just not regress. Personally, I think that as long as this doesn't, you know, like, like Jason Jones mentioned in the story, as long as this doesn't show itself to be a fluke or like a one-off season that, I personally will be satisfied with, with the works that work that the Kings did. We talked about last week about, you know, there are just 10 or 11 teams in the West that are very, very strong. And even the teams in the bottom could make a move. And so I don't know necessarily if, you know, hitting 50 wins or making the playoffs even is the expectation. Um, but certainly, certainly, maintaining the status as you know in the playoff hunt uh around 500 to me that's that's what i would need to see to to feel 
good about this team going forward. Would you be a little more focused on, is it winning games or maybe individual players taking that next step? I feel like if we can see some of these young guys like Fox, Buddy, Bagley, Giles, add something to their game and see them trending upwards, but at the same time doing it in their role, whatever that may be. So I think part of it is also figuring out that role. Do you feel like the progression for next season is more focused on each individual guy taking a step or the team meshing as a whole and moving moving upwards that way? I think intellectually we can say that we know the the real improvement comes um, player to player, and you know getting uh, a guy like Fox or to hit his his ceiling, or a guy like Bagley to take his step forward in the sophomore year. All that stuff is well and good, but I think that pragmatically and realistically, for Sacramento, this is about wins. Uh, I think the team uh, or, or the city wants the team to hit 40 wins. I, I think I think it would be massive for this team to hit the 41-win mark this season and to be able to say, hey, we were a 500 team, uh, that we broke the 12-year-long the 12 uh, streak of losing seasons. I think that's massive for Sacramento. And I think that next year, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I think a lot of the fans will feel like that number is what defines this season, and it can't be lower than the year than the number we had last year. But yeah. but what's your take on that? Yeah, I would agree. I think, like you said, it stems from these players having their individual improvement, and I think if you see that number go up, or it, it's interesting. I never thought of it like you said, but I think it really is that as long as you don't digress if you go downward at all obviously that's extremely disappointing for a team that has a crazy low average age and all these super young draft picks that are leading it I I think what it comes down to is that has this team found their identity that they're the pace team this year and I think that Fox is great at being able to keep that identity especially if he's the leader of this team which it seems like pretty clearly that he is now and going to be for the future. But as these guys start to get a little bit later into their careers, which obviously talking a little bit down the line, do they have that set identity? Are they going to keep this pace up and that's what they go with? Or is it going to change if Bagley turns into something else that's more of a half court ideal type guy? So I think that if they can stick to that same pace, pushing the floor and getting steals, leading to easy buckets, that if they know their play style, that those individual improvements are going to be the way they improve. I would agree with that. I I think that Jones makes a good point, though, that there's a chance that the team or the city, the fans feel like, you know, this year was the get your identity year and next year is the playoffs year. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. As short-sighted as that may be and as, as unrealistic as that may be in a super deep West, though. Yeah, so you feel like that is, that's really what the identity comes down to? It's the pace? I mean, pace and youth, yeah. I I, I think this could be, again, uh, I think we will have to do a Marvin Bagley pod eventually, just like a straight up, like, just break him down entirely, but um, I don't see him turning into a half-court player. I, I mean, I think the guy just turned 20, and he is so absurdly athletic that I feel – I don't personally see a situation where he would be maximized in a half-court setting. Um, and I think that a lot of the reason that he was picked over Luka Doncic – excuse me, over Luka Doncic twice – oh, boy. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. Over <laughs> Luka Doncic, quite frankly – is the uh, athleticism and the verticality that, and the way that plays in with De'Aaron Fox's speed. You know, I mean, you've got yourself a point guard who's athletically tremendous, like athletically dangerous, and now you got yourself a big man who is as well. I think, I think that was a, 
a big, I think that's an understated part of why Bagley was the pick. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So you had a little bit of a fun kind of way you wanted to go about talking the value of De'Aaron Fox, right? Yes. Uh, based off a conversation we had uh, near the end of the podcast last week, um, yeah, I believe it was the GM poll between um, ranking the sophomores. We had Simmons, we had Donovan Mitchell, uh, we had Jason Tatum and Darren Fox. And I know that Simmons came in first, I believe that order, uh, Fox came in last. And you had mentioned that you didn't feel like there's a way to put Fox ahead of Simmons. And I kind of pushed back on that and we talked about it. It's interesting. There's, de- I-, I think there's a debate there. It seems like you agree. So I wanted to run down uh, a, a similar sort of uh, uh, expression of, of Fox's value here, an exercise in trying to figure out the value of De'Aaron Fox because, and, and let me let me be clear about this: the value of De'Aaron Fox to the Sacramento Kings, you know, in their current context, this team, uh, this is not going to be in a vacuum. I'm not talking about what would. Uh, what would you want to do if you were if you were redrafting the whole league and teams can start from scratch and what what Darren Fox might be valued as uh, to any other team in the league? But to this Kings team, I want to throw some names out there to you and see who you would trade Darren Fox for straight up. Okay. So these these are not going to be packages. It's like you know this is one one for one, and you just you can give me a yes no. If you got to think about it, that's cool. We can talk about it, but uh, yeah, hit me with hit me with an answer here. Uh, I'm gonna kind of be jumping all over the place, but here we go. Kyle, Lowry. are we talking? Are we talking one season or moving forward future? So this is the best way to put this would be. Um, this is not in a fantasy world whatsoever. This is it comes across the tweet right now. IRL in real life, your phone hits up. De'Aaron Fox traded for blank. Okay. So the, the first name is Kyle Lowry. I like Lowry. I think that he's a really underrated passer. At one point this year, he was leading the league in assists, I feel like. And he spaces the floor well. He can chuck it from deep. I like his defense. To me, Fox is the identity of this Kings team. It's going to take a lot to get past... De'Aaron Fox for me so I I like what Lowry brings I think he has a lot of intangibles but it's not more than Fox for me Fox is the identity Fox feels like he is the scores I'm not gonna take Lowry over him there I agree let's do Russell Westbrook and keep in mind this is real life so we're talking the contract that they're on and everything they're bringing the contract with them emotionally I would not be happy if we got Westbrook I've never been much of a Westbrook guy I've liked him more so this year now that it seems like he's accepted his role a little bit it's almost like he's matured is what I would kind of call it that he doesn't feel a need to chuck up these crazy shots but he's still really clutch can hit him when he needs to three point percentage has been down this year (sighs) I don't know if I can comfortably say that De'Aaron Fox will eventually be a Russell Westbrook level talent, like an MVP player. So my basketball mind wants to say that I would not be upset if we had Westbrook one for one instead of Fox. So, and let me just remind you here, he is on a five-year $205 million deal. You're still good? I think so, because he's one of those top players that he's an identity of a team also, that he leads in the same way. He's not necessarily very old either. I I don't like it. I, I would I'm okay with keeping Fox, but like I said, if I'm if I gotta be real with it just from a basketball standpoint, I I think I'd be okay with it. I mean, how do you feel on that one? So for me this is this is a really easy. Um, I I'm starting you off with with what I thought were going to be easy, um, but we you know we're different people. We have different views on each player. Uh, for me, Westbrook is 30 already. 
he will be making $46.5 million when he is 35. That is a thing that he will be doing. Um, and I am not convinced that Russell Westbrook is really uh, as good at bringing wins to a team is as, is as much as he is at bringing statistics to a team. So that's an easy no for me, but that's that's okay. fine. Let me give you this one. Uh, Steph Curry. I, I got to take Curry. Curry is, I mean, Curry's one of my guys, to be fair. I, I think that he transforms a team. Um, I know that he's getting a little bit older too, but I think that if you had Curry on this team right now, in my opinion, Curry's a top three player in the league that he, he could get, he could win you a ring. I mean within the next, within this contract that he's on. Absolutely could. That's a real possibility. He is older than than Russ, and he'll be making very similar money to Russ. To me, he breaks the, the concept that the Kings have going for them, which is the youth. Uh, he basically... I think at that point, if you have Steph, you build around Steph, you start to trade pieces like Bagley and all that, and you sell out uh, for the immediate. Um, this one does get tougher for me, but I'd rather take the 21-year-old Fox on you know, a $7 million contract and, and uh, the ability to retain him for an extra four or five years than the 31-year-old Steph Curry. Uh, I know it's a hot take but I would not trade Dan Fox for Steph Curry straight up. Then I, I, had a I few... understand your side a little bit there. Okay. Uh, I know I'm going to sound like crazy for some of these. I'm getting to guys that say yes on pretty soon here. I know I sound crazy, but at least with Westbrook and Curry, like these guys are over 30, on the wrong side of 30, have massive $45, $46 million contract you know, years coming up uh, on the books. Kyrie and Kemba, we can't really talk about because they are free agents. So, you know, just you can't trade for them because they're not under contract. So yeah. we'll skip over them. Well, but uh, just to touch on like straight up them as players, sure. um, say that we, I, I don't know, whatever, say that Fox wasn't there and we were able to sign one of them to a max contract, something like that. Yeah. Say, so say Kyrie or Kemba were on a max deal. Yeah. I wouldn't look at Kemba. I think Kemba is a little bit of a defensive liability. I think that he's nice on offense. I consider Kyrie, though. Kyrie's 26 years old. He is barely entering his prime and is already one of the best players in the league. I think that on this Celtics team, we've seen him with a little bit more defensive effort. He's at about a seven assists this year. I think he's a better passer than people give him credit for really what it comes down to is that same thing. And a lot of the benefit goes towards Fox and these, because he's 21, like you said, and is the identity. I would really debate Kyrie though. I, I might, Oh man, I I don't know. What do you, what's your take on him between Kyrie? I mean, you're picking Fox on most of these, most of these so far. I feel like if you're taking Fox over Curry, that you probably got him over Kyrie too, right? I think that this is a great line to draw right here between Kyrie and Kemba, at least talent-wise. Um, I would prefer to keep Fox than to sign Kemba to a max. Um, if, if, say, there's some way to do a sign-and-trade with Charlotte, and that was the terms, uh, I would prefer to keep Fox. Uh, if that sign-and-trade were out there for Kyrie, I think I would lean Kyrie. Okay. I do. And it's, and it's that, he's not older like the Westbrook Curry. Yeah, I mean, you you said it right there. I I think it is. I think age really matters to this team. Um, I mean, especially. I mean, we just the Kings have so many guys that around this age. You bring in Kyrie, just turned twenty seven. I mean, that's comparable to where Buddy, Bogey, um, and Barnes are at. You got yourself a core entering their prime right there that's yeah i mean I, i'm on, i'd be on board for that i will 
Okay, so that's the first one we got you taking over Fox. Yeah, and I will I will pick you up on the fact that it is not possible because he's not under yeah. contract. So, so, so as of as of right now, there's a player that we've discussed that I would encode to Darren Fox for. Okay. Um, I have D'Angelo Russell next. He is a restricted free agent, but I'm assuming he goes. I mean, he's younger, but I'm assuming he goes kind of near near the Kemba line of logic that you just discussed. Yeah, kind of. And I feel like him and Fox, I, I don't think one of them has a lot more potential than the other. So I wouldn't want to swap it. I like the the leadership and the the identity that really the Kings have because of Fox that to me... Maybe player-wise, individually, their careers pan out similarly, um, but I, I wouldn't take that swap. Agreed. I, I think there's even an argument, like you're saying, that that Fox just ends up better. You know, yeah, he's they're pretty similar in age, um, and they're pretty similar in skill. You know, um, and now we're gonna get to the guy that I have as as a yes. Um, Damian Lillard, I would, I think that I would trade Darren Fox for Damian Lillard. What are your thoughts on that? I really like Dame. I think Dame is one of the more underrated guys in the league. Um, actually, we just heard what was it? I think it was Demarcus Cousins on the Chris Haynes podcast saying that if he was in a major market, this guy would be talked about as one of the greatest of all time. And Dame is just insane. But, I mean, it's 28 years old. He's not that old. I, mm, I don't know, but you're getting six, seven more years out of a Fox. I understand your argument for Dame, and I think I might agree with you. If you're looking at a 45, 37 from three, 90 from the free throw line, and he's not a bad defender necessarily. It's a close one. I I think you can win with Dame, so I don't think you go yes. wrong either way necessarily in this one. I think you can win with Dame for sure. I mean, I I I, I mean, this gets into another thing, but you know, debating Kyrie versus Dame is, I think, it's kind of uh, you know that's kind of a coin toss. And so if I'm, if I'm saying yes to Kyrie, I'm saying yes to Dan. Okay. Uh, those are my guys out of this group. And then the final one, and it depends on how you classify him. And if you haven't caught on this, by the way, is the list of all-star point guards this year. Oh, I have so, it. Okay. So this is the last guy on that list, depending on how you classify his position. And that's Ben Simmons, which is the guy that we, that sparked this conversation. Yeah. I think that we look at his development of a jump shot a little different. I think that it's kind of inevitable that it's bound to happen. But at the same time, he hasn't looked at the rim. Like, that's what I don't understand, how you're not even looking in that direction. Like, what, you tried to shoot three threes all year when no one's within five feet of you at max from the three-point line? Like, so there's a concern there, but I just feel like it has to happen that Simmons has this insane potential of the best player in the league for a couple years if he got that shot. And the form doesn't look that bad to me. Yeah, I feel like it's just the confidence that that could happen over an offseason. So I have to go Simmons there. Fair enough. Uh, for me, I am turning that down in a hot second. And I'll tell you why is because it what this team has, the makeup of this team, the way that the team is, you know, a point guard is extremely important to have to, to any NBA team. It might be the most difficult position to replace. I think it actually certainly is the most difficult position to replace. Yeah. If you lose your point guard, you have below average point guard play, below replacement level point guard play. You're kind of broken as a team, uh, or at least you're in very big trouble. To me, Ben Simmons coming in for Darren Fox changes the dynamic. Although you can say Simmons is a point guard, he is not doing many things that a point guard needs or 
ideally would do, including shooting. Uh, he changes what this team's identity is completely, obviously. Um, he may become redundant with Marvin Bagley defensively. Uh, I guess you can try to keep Simmons on. I mean, you can try to put him on opposing ones. I'm not sure that is maximizing Ben Simmons. Um, I'm not exactly sure how you fit Giles and Bagley and Simmons all together defensively. Um, I can see the argument for listen Simmons is just a freak of nature and, and we got to give this a, a chance, but I don't believe that shots ever coming period. Uh, I, I certainly don't think that it's going to be a weapon that is going to be useful in a playoff scenario. Uh, I think Fox does have a shot. I mean, I think we've got evidence that he's got a shot. Yeah. He has freakish athletic gifts, um, physical gifts in uh, a different way, but, on a similar level to Ben Simmons, just with the the speed and the ferocity. I love Fox as a leader. Uh, I love his fit with this team, this roster. So, you know, and he's younger, um, about 18 months younger. Um, I think that his sibling is just higher, and I, I would keep Darren Fox. I understand your defensive of, you know, who's guarding the point guard at that point. But I would argue that offensively, that the identity stays pretty similar. I think Simmons likes to get out in transition. Um, he's about eight assists a game. I think he's an amazing passer. A lot of it is flash, which gets him a little more hyped in that regard. But I do think he's really capable. He can get those rebounds, which the team definitely needs. And for not having a jump shot right now at 17 points is pretty nice. I feel like offensively, the identity could stay the same with Simmons in that point position. My concern is taking a, a shooter off the floor for okay. a team that really only has one shooter. I guess you can say that, you know, Bogey plays that role, but he's often coming off the bench. And then you could say Bielitsa, uh, does, you know, puts in his work there, but I don't know that Bielitsa is really a part of this lineup going forward. Um, at least I don't think that he is going to be a part of the starting lineup going forward in an ideal scenario. Um, you know, I think that this is a team that actually has struggled to put is, you know, we struggle with spacing. The Kings do, um, still. And I think taking, uh, another shooter off before is going to make that an issue, but I, I absolutely, that. yeah, I mean, I absolutely understand. Uh, anyone who would prefer to have Simmons, I just personally, uh, and maybe it's my biases, but I personally would keep Fox. And so the point of what I, what I wanted to do there was just show that of all those all-star point guards, I mean, I think that you can make a legitimate argument uh, that Fox would be more valuable to this team than any of them, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, I can see an argument against every single one of them in a one-for-one trade. And for me, I think there's only a couple of them that I'd prefer over Fox right now, considering the, the context that we're currently in. Um, and quite frankly, when I, I really tried to go through all the best players in the league and I could not come up with a, I could not come up, come up with any one player that I thought was, uh, inarguably a more valuable piece that, that I would straight up trade Darren Fox for, including Giannis, Oof. including Zion. The, the Giannis uh, one was the one I was going to throw at you. Including Luka. Like, Giannis was by far the closest, and I definitely would do that. Like, you know, I would pull the trigger on that, but I, I think that it's defensible not to. Um, and I really, at the end of the day, I couldn't even come up with 10 guys that I felt like I would lean towards having over Fox. So... So then I have a question um, for yeah. you. So to me, I feel like it's pretty clear Fox is the future leader of this team. He's the identity, like we said a couple times. Do you feel like a higher floor and more likely to reach it is Fox or Bagley? It's a good question. The question is higher floor? Yeah. And not I, just I like, I mean, obviously there's there's your max floor, but there, a lot of guys aren't going to necessarily reach that. Like where you actually see them ending. Or not floor. I'm sorry. I'm at ceiling. Yeah. Um, this is a tough question, and I will probably lean back here. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, which is incredible considering 
the arguments that I just made for Fox over Ben Simmons and, uh, and that she should even be in a conversation to keep over Giannis. Although, to be fair, a lot of the, where I came down with the Giannis thing was contract wise and if he would leave, um, and not, re- not resign and stay in Sacramento. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that Bagley is younger. I think that he has more physical tools. I think size does help. Um, there's not anything that Bagley can't do. So yeah, I mean, and, and eight or nine inches of size in the NBA is a big deal. So especially with, with the way that he can, he can get up there, uh, you know, the, the way that Bagley can jump and second jump, I mean, the physical tools are, are different and are superior for the bigger guy than Bagley. So I do think that Bagley could be an even higher ceiling player. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think obviously it's a little bit of a crazy comparison, but it's almost like a, like a Curry Durant type thing where Curry is, is the team. He is Golden State, but Durant is almost possibly the best player on that team. Those two guys are really close, obviously. And I think that it could be that close for Fox and Bagley, but I think it's the same type of thing. Obviously, I mean, those, it's talking about two of the best players that are going to go down of all time. So it's a little different there, but it almost reminds me of that relationship on the team a little bit. I'll quickly shout out Omer Khan over at Sacktown Royalty. Um, he had been using on this question himself recently and, and said that he thinks Bagley has a higher potential. And despite that, he thinks Fox is, he, he sees Fox's peak as being the best point guard in the league. And then he still thinks that Bagley has the higher potential. Yeah, that's crazy. Says a lot, like you said. So to kind of close out here, I think we're, uh, we're reaching a little bit over an hour now. I put out a couple, I, I looked for questions on the King's subreddit, looking to probably do this weekly. So look out for a thread in there to ask us some questions and just go through a little bit. Um, some of the top ones, a good amount. Obviously, everyone's wondering about these free agents that we realistically will have. We touched on this last episode. Uh, realistically, we're probably looking at a dead man. Patrick Beverly were the two that we really liked in those positions. And then on the wing, we talked about Danny Green mainly. Um, there were some others in there. What was it? Like a Rudy Gay? And who who else did we have on the wing a little bit there? On the wing, I think we talked a lot about bringing Corey Brewer back. Yeah. Um, it's a little more scarce on the wing. I think we discussed Ariza, although, you know, he could want more money or, or- Kings could, could really offer. Yeah. And then we also really liked Lopez at that center. But if we're talking realistic, it's more likely that a lot of your money is going to be going to Beverly. And then you fill in with Deadman in one of those wings, like we talked about. And this question was really interesting to me. Other than youth, what do you feel like the team is missing to be a title contending team? And to me, it's not much, really. If you give this team, like we just talked about it, I mean, Fox has potential to be best point guard in the league, and Bagley has potential to be better than Fox. Is that so you just need the right role players around him, really, at that point? So to clarify, the question was, what are they missing other than kind of experience? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... That doesn't strike me as crazy to say. I, I, I mean, most of these guys are very inexperienced. So if you're telling me there's a world where the score of players wins a championship, you know, I don't I think that's insane. It. Yeah. I think it's, it's a ways away. Um, and it will probably take a stronger peripheral set of players, uh, around them. Um, I think that. You know, maybe the number one thing the Kings organization could improve on is stability in the front office and no more petty drama between assistant GMs and head coaches <laughs> and, and all this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then um, a little bit of a more funny one. How often does Vivek worship at his shrine to Buddy Healed? 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could worship this entire team, really. I don't even think it's really Buddy. Like, I love everybody on this team, and I could not be more excited for the future. Yeah, these are all gods here. Yeah, seriously. Um, and one final one, is there anyone in the G League that has a legit chance to actually make it into the NBA? I know you know the Stockton guys a little bit better than I do in this regard. I do, yeah. I've, I've been lucky enough to spend some time down there, uh, get a good look at some of those guys. Um, and then I'll also, well, I'll also mention that um, it's reported the Kings, uh, reported by Keith Smart that the Kings took a look at Antonius Cleveland and Kendrick Nunn uh, earlier today or, or this weekend. Uh, quickly as, as possibilities to bring in on 10 day contracts. Uh, so, you know, I, I think though that the better way to handle this would be to talk more about it in depth next week or, or, or not, excuse me, not next week, but later this week, maybe see if one of those guys has picked up. We can talk about Cody Demps. Uh, we can talk about Caleb Swanigan. Um, you know, Wendon Gabriel and, and even, uh, Troy Williams, who we saw a lot of earlier this year, but, uh, Short answer, not a lot to get excited about, uh, quite frankly, in my opinion. Um, long answer, maybe we can, we can give you a long answer uh, on the, on Thursday or Friday. Yep, sounds good. Yeah, we definitely can break that down a little bit more later. That was, I sadly put out this question thing about a day ago, so not a crazy amount of questions on here today. But that was about all I had for this episode was there anything else that you maybe wanted to touch up on man before we closed out just want to thank you again for the opportunity to be a part of this podcast um please definitely do hit us up um on twitter and you can you can submit questions to that that reddit post i'm guessing that you'll be putting up some similar q a stuff like that on reddit and perhaps twitter as well brendan that was the plan Um, yeah yeah, absolutely. So excited about this and um, yeah, get in our mentions, please. Exactly. Yeah. The podcast Twitter itself is at Kings underscore pulse. My personal Twitter is, uh, dis- what is it? NBA underscore distributor and riches is Ivanowski NBA. Correct me if I spell this right. I think I got it down. I-V-A-N-O-W-S-K-I-N-B-A. That's it. And there we uh, go. you can also uh, yeah, read up on me a little bit on Sacktown Royalty and the other guys over there who are all totally just awesome. Exactly. Good content there. And thank you for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. And you will hear from us again a little bit later this week. Have a good one, everybody. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.